Welcome to another episode of the Happy Endings Trail Crew, uh, the Happy Cast Podcast. Uh, the Happy Cast Podcast? Well, it sounds redundant. The Happy Cast. This is, it's been a while. Uh, I feel like I haven't we been on tell. this podcast in a while, even though I think it's just been one week with uh, Stephanie leading the way last week. And uh, Dylan's not here. Um, so I feel like all three of us haven't been together in a while. So Dylan is currently. Um, not here to join us on this special episode. Uh, he decided to get into a unmanned fist fight with a water buffalo. Um, so we are hoping he recovers well. That's that's one wild guy, man. That's my boy. So if, uh, for lack of a better uh, phrasing there, things got rough for him. <laughs> right, Stephanie? Yeah. Get it? I get it. Okay. Get it. All right. No, uh, get well, Dylan. Uh, don't know what the fuck's going on with you, but uh, recover. Pardon my language. Uh, and yeah, so that's Stephanie Stonebreaker, Leek. Um, so yeah, it's just us two with uh, our very good friend. Uh, it's been a while. Um, and the owner and operator of Wild Sense Goods, we have uh, Jason Hanley joining us. Um, Jason, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've been trying to get you on for a while, but you know, some things got in the way um, on our side and you had one annoying big thing in your way that just happened recently. <laughs> um, and so you're currently recovering from that. And that annoying big thing is uh, Bigfoot 200. So we're gonna talk about that here in a bit. But Jason, uh, you had another big thing happen earlier this year. Uh, you launched Wild Sense Goods. Yep. And um, I believe you now have uh, some ambassadors, including Regina, which uh, let me tell you, she was sporting that hat. It's like her favorite hat in the world now. Uh, ran all of like Leadville with it. The only time she did not run with it is when I took it from her when trying to change her cl- out of into warm gear and I forgot that hat. So I'm sorry <laughs> that she didn't finish with that hat. No Almost worries, lost man. it. But yeah, Jason, no how, how are things going, my man? Man, they're going really well. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Like, I really can't thank you enough. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, man, they're going really well. I'm recovering really well. Uh, it's probably time to stop sitting on my butt and like actually get out and start doing stuff again. Uh, but I feel like I've wanted to be lazy for a few days. Um, yeah. It was an amazing time. Uh, yeah. Matt gave me specific instructions right before I hopped on. He's like, I'm going to need Jason to not talk about Bigfoot. And I want to hear about taping feet. He's still <laughs> so impressed with whatever you did to tape feet. He was like, this guy knows how to tape feet. Because I guess well, that was from Cocodona that he saw you work your magic. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I taped Andrew's feet uh, as he needed it. I helped Andrea as well. Um, I don't really think I had to help out any of the pacers along the way. Um, I've also done it for Kathleen at Moab. Um, I, I got to doing it at the suggestion of others. 
I had done it for both Kathleen and myself when we did the Wonderland Trail. So I've really been tinkering with it for a while and it's going pretty well all together. Um, although we might find a couple issues a little later in this episode. So you telling me, Mike, oh, just man, <laughs> I was wondering who, who does foot care for the foot care guy, you know, like it's, it's, it's one of those things. So I'm just like, I'm interested to hear about, you know, your own personal foot care, but yeah. So Jason was the guy who, uh, unex, you know, he was kind of, a almost a last, not last minute, but last addition to my Cocodona crew and ended up being the MVP of that race for me. He was, you were the only person willing to touch my feet, which is great during the and that race. Sounds so dirty the way you're saying it. No, I mean, it's a dirty thing and I want I someone mean, willing was, to get dirty. Yeah. It was bad. It was especially wearing toe socks. Like I commend you for having to deal with all that. I mean, I didn't break out the wild sense, you know, chafing bomb and lube his feet aggressively or anything. It oh, was, this, this guy, tanky. this guy used uh, all of his products on my shin. I swear <laughs> yeah, uh, my shins were not cool. having it. So um, the first that was one of the first times I really got into using uh, the wild sense products. I remember the first time I used, uh, one of your products was the bath bomb. I think it was after Jackalope jam when I was still in Houston and I went to go recover in a bathtub and I've never used a bath bomb before. So let me tell you, those things are fun to watch. <laughs> just let it, <laughs> let it loose. And it's like one of those hamster balls that just go roaming around. So it was pretty dope. Uh, loved it felt great um but uh, as a product that i constantly use right now is definitely the the no mosquito the bug spray that shit goes everywhere with us nice um probably and i'm wondering now that i think about it that one time that i almost died uh with kathleen under my guidance like watching over me like i'm Mm -hmm. just wondering if that wasn't just a marketing ploy you know it's like all right man get Andrew out there, get allergic reactions. This is going to be a great way for him to just constantly use the bug spray. Cause now I use it all the time and it's great. So. Yeah. I don't think our bug spray is going to prevent anaphylactic shock. I can pretty much guarantee you it won't. So, Oh no, you know, not, not that marketing. Not that at all. No, <laughs> just, <laughs> just thinking I got bit by bugs. It's like, Oh, I need to start using bug spray. Yeah. We can cut that oh. if we have to. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but but that was an incident because I was getting bit by things where I was like, all right, I need to start using some stuff. So started using bug spray. Haven't been, you know, uh, at, at all the races now because I was kind of like scared of trails for a while. So, yeah, I've been using that a lot and it smells great. So. Um, it's yeah, and it's not sticky. It doesn't. It doesn't get like. It doesn't go on like a nasty bug spray, but it does the job. And you're not afraid to put it, you know, anywhere when your pores are opened up and you're sweating and everything, because it's just oils and herbs and plants. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. <clears throat> so we will talk more about um, your products, Wild Sense. That's one of the main reasons we wanted you on here, uh, but. Right now, um, primarily, uh, uh, for at least a bit, we want to talk about one of the hardest 200 milers in the country, uh, your first 200 miler, um, the Bigfoot 200. We have so many questions and we just want to hear your side of this tale because, um, 
Like that is that is a gnarly race. That's an insane race, especially again mentioned it on the Never Summer episode. A lot of us here in Texas, it's kind of harder for us to get go out there and get some training that others may get. Uh, Bigfoot isn't as high as some races, but you still get what six, seven thousand feet up. I mean, we're basically almost at sea level where we're at. Mm-hmm. So have a lot of questions about this, but we just want to hear um, about getting into Bigfoot, your approach to it, and just and just your whole entire experience, because I tried not to really ask you too much about this race until now. Um, I've heard some people talk about their race, but um, just trying to avoid a lot of things, because this is definitely a bucket list race for myself. So we're very excited. Congratulations uh, on your race. and. I can't you. wait to hear about uh, what you have to say. Will you start with just like the stats of like the, the mileage, the cutoff, who your crew was like before you get started into the like what actually happened? Sure. That's kind of I was kind of thinking about the crew and stuff there. The total time for the race, if I remember right, that we were allotted was one hundred and seven hours. Um. The highest elevation that we got up to was 58 or 5,830 feet, I believe. Um, so it wasn't really high, but at times, you know, we were down at like 15,000 feet. So, and, and then climbing most of that back up. Um, the, the race is known for being super rugged. And talking to several people this year after it was all said and done, they felt like it was more rugged than it had been in years past. And there was a lot more overgrowth. Um, they, if, if you've heard about the log sections, some of that got cleared out a little bit to help. But on the flip side of it, there was so much more overgrowth that it didn't like it. It, it came out to be more difficult to some of them, or at least more rugged. Um, than it was in previous years. That's what I'm told. I wasn't, I wasn't there for all the other ones. This was, <laughs> you know, my first one. Um, uh, let's see. What else were you asking there, Stephanie? Which, what did I miss? So what was like the game and then the crew? <sighs> the game is in like the game plan and everything. The, the elevation uh, gain. The, ele- the gain. Oh, the elevation gain, I think, was uh, 41, 42,000 feet somewhere in there just depending on how it kind of measures out uh so, so it, was, it was almost 200 feet per mile um i haven't done the math but probably yeah i mean it'll just under but it's going to be significant yeah. i'm giving perspective to everyone that runs like in texas like we can't yeah. even find that kind of vert anywhere <laughs> out here you're yeah you're not even our parking right. garages get that steep so <laughs> Yeah, it was uh it came out to be quite a bit when you when you measured it against other things. It's I mean, it's a legit mountain race. It's a lot of climbing. Um spent a lot of time training in this spot that I think Andrew knows a little bit about between the bayou and a levee for a um like an overflow pond thing just back and forth uh doing hill work. Um and then the crew, the crew from there, um, it's kind of one of my favorite parts. So of course I had Kathleen, my wife, if any of you know much about her, I've crewed her in the past. She's crewed me. 
um, anytime we anytime we race, usually one of us is racing and the other one is, is crewing and we work really well together. Um, she races a lot more than I do. She's, she just jumps in stuff and Andrew will be like, Hey, Kathleen, why don't you do this? And the next thing we know, we're flying to Colorado to go do never summer. Uh, <laughs> and, uh I mean, it doesn't even take much. Like, it doesn't, I'm dude. I'm worried as well. No, I'm on the same page, brother. <laughs> And, uh, it doesn't take much to get her to jump into, <laughs> into something crazy. And me, I, I tend to do a little less, but kind of stretch things out and, and do them on a longer scale of, you know, having a big a goal. Um, it's been a while since I've done anything this big, but Kathleen was kind of the center of it. Um, initially we had our friend, Steve, um, who I know Andrew's met a, a couple times before Steve has done, Badwater a couple of times. He's done Comrades 10 years in a row. Um, he does Snowdrop every year, the 55-hour race uh, that I know Andrew's done. Some of the people listening probably know a bit about. And Steve is a really quiet guy, but he is super capable. And he had been to Bigfoot twice crewing another friend of ours. So he was coming in where... Kathleen's main job was to take care of me and know everything that I was going to need when we got in the van and everything. Steve's job was to navigate how we got from one point to the next. One of the big issues with Bigfoot when you talk to people is that it's very difficult to navigate. You kind of, when you start going out to aid stations, you don't just go back to an Airbnb each time. You may be on bad dirt roads for hours on end, and then they get more narrow, and then you're on one lane, like old logging roads to get from point to point. You don't really need a four-wheel drive, but you definitely need a durable vehicle. So that was Steve's job. Unfortunately, very last minute, Steve ended up with a hernia. So he had to step away. Um, so of course everybody loves a good crux at the, you know, last minute with your pacers and crew, but it happens, right? Um, we're runners that can happen to any of us. We could be totally planning to do something, go to our race a month in advance and, you know, really have something bad happen, unfortunately. Um, with this, it, it kind of worked out. Um, I started thinking of like who I could get that would be free that soon. You know, you get into vacation time and it's only a few weeks out. And I reached out to a guy named Ryan, who was a guide for Kathleen and I when we did the Wonderland Trail with Aspire Adventure Running. Um, so Ryan, I, I got to know him a little bit there, but then kind of through socials and stuff, even a little more, he did a lot of big uh, skiing and big mountain bike stuff. He lives in Bellingham, Washington. Um, so these mountains are his backyard. He guides like every single week of the summer. He's out on these running guiding trips through the mountains there. Um, and then he's even done the PCT like a few years ago. He from one end to the other. So of all the people that I could think of that were just a big adventure nerd that just liked to jump into crazy stuff. That was this guy was Ryan. And... I didn't really know how he would re, you know, like what he would say because we kind of didn't really know each other super well, but he was in the area and he was the, he kind of had like a flexible schedule. So 
I reached out and he was like, dude, thank you for thinking of me. Like, this is totally my kind of thing to just jump into something wild out of the blue and do it. He's like, I'm in. So like three weeks out, all of a sudden, you know, Ryan's jumping into it. And this guy has spent more time driving old crappy logging roads than he has probably running, running some of these mountains. So that really filled the void in the navigation side of things too. Um, then from there, Steve was able to help from home. He actually worked. Uh, he was sending messages about the tracker back to the team in the van via Garmin inReach. Because when you get out there, there is no phone signal. For the first day or two, you'll see like the team messaging stuff and putting stuff on socials. And then everybody just disappears. You have absolutely no signal. If you get signal, the, the gas stations there offer free Wi-Fi. Like, when you went to a gas station, you would have to go in and get their Wi-Fi code to to actually access it and then maybe send something and then you're taken off again. Um, so Steve was super helpful in letting them know where I was at and what was going on so they could make sure that they were getting rest and still getting to the aid stations when they're supposed to. Because, Andrew, I know as you're familiar with, like technically you're not supposed to be at a destination trails aid station, but 30 minutes before the runner, um, which is super tricky when you don't have any signal at all. Right. Like, I don't think anybody was really, nobody was out there like clocking people in the, you know, up and down the road, but you still want to try to be respectful of that because that can cause issues for runners. Um, so that was a big, big thing. And then lastly, we had Javier. So Javier was this young 18 year old, I'm going to call him the ultra rookie that I met at Brazos Bend in i believe it was april um he was running his first 50k and i knew his boss from work at a running store down in beaumont um and i realized like this kid like just flat out loved the sport of ultra running he was a nerd about like learning everything about it and then i started realizing like talking to his boss he was learning stuff about stuff in the running store that he works at that she didn't even know that he was looking up and like researching online. He just started school like last week. Uh, he just started college and he's planning on becoming an engineer. Like he's super smart. Um, but at the same time he was super green. Uh, he had only run one fifty K it was Brazos Bend, So the elevation gain was like four feet. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I wanted to bring him in because when I saw his spirit and his love for like certain athletes and even like the Barclays marathon and stuff, it reminded me of when I started getting into these things. And when somebody asked me to come pace a race and how it kind of opened my eyes up to what else there really was in the sport and how much bigger it was than I thought it was. So I felt in this weird way, like, it was me returning my gratitude for the sport and like doing, you know, putting some good energy back into it, which to me is kind of important. If you're not doing that every time you do one of these things, it, it, it you're just not setting up good energy for yourself. And I know that may sound cheesy, but I felt like I needed to have a piece of something really good that I was putting back out there. Um, and I knew he had this, he, he was strong enough to do it. I could see that and how fast he was and, and what he was doing. Um, 
So I brought him on, kind of laid out some training even for him to just make sure that he was getting the hill work and everything. Uh, yeah. And then we can, I can kind of get into how that went more later, but it was a really, I think it was a really good thing to do. And it really made for a lot of fun for us. Yeah. One thing I should know is that when I first really met you guys, I met, I heard about or met you guys around Moab is just how willing you guys are to give back to the community. When I tried, for instance, to last kind of minute run Brazos Bend 100 without any crew or pacers and you guys were just like, nah, man, we got you. And we didn't really know each other that well. Um, but you guys were so willing to just get out there and help and same with Snowdrop, And then, uh, yeah, you guys have done a lot. And then obviously Cocodona, which was originally going to be uh, maybe some other trip. And last minute, you guys were able to work that in. So you guys have been absolutely amazing to the community. Um, so that doesn't you know surprise me. Your train of thought as far as getting Javier, Javier into the, the fold for Bigfoot. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, so uh, we'll get into Bigfoot. Um just kind of like a narrative um yeah amongst other than being considered possibly the hardest turn mile race in the united states it's also uh by far the hardest to crew for um so i'm sure this was just an epic undertaking uh, and can't wait to hear about it but uh really fast um why bigfoot out of all the 200 mile races so i I actually had the opportunity after I, I swept Tahoe 200. So then I, because I did like the whole thing, I had a full entry into one of the races. So it was either going to be Moab, Bigfoot or Tahoe. I had just seen Tahoe. Um, Kathleen was running Moab and I'm not as much of the desert person as she is for like the red stone and everything. That's really her thing. Um, but having been to Washington, that like the Sierras, everything up there, that is probably my favorite mountains. Um, just everything's so huge when you're in the forests. Like if there's a tree that dies and falls over, there's every, there's life growing out of it. Like everything that dies is, has something else growing on it in this kind of magical way. And it, it really seems like those forests just seem magical when you're in them. Um, and the mountains, when the same, when you get up to the top of the mountains, it, it hits different than the stuff in Colorado and in Arizona and other places that I've been. Uh, there's something really magical about the Pacific Northwest. So it just kind of seemed the obvious choice to me. And the fact that it was going to be more rugged and, and more challenging at the same time, that's just kind of my thing. Like, why am I going to, why am I going to do the one that is difficult, but not, con, you know, not considered the the most difficult of the, the three. So at the same time, that kind of made it a little more scary was that this one's so remote and so rugged. Like, what's that really going to be like? And is, am I going to be able to, to hang there? I'm not someone that runs in the mountains all the time that has access to that. Uh, but that's just what drew me in was knowing that that was the kind of terrain that I loved so much. And I hadn't had the chance to see it. 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, as someone that finds it hard to go and do a, a race that I've done before or uh, an area that I've seen before, that totally makes sense. But at the same time, it's kind of terrifying. Bigfoot is a big, it's, it's, it's a big boy. All of them are very hard yeah, in their own are. ways. But, very um, much. Um, just the added remoteness and then the crewing job. So um, without further ado, we're going to uh, get into your experience. Um, set the stage. You are about to start this race. Everyone's lining up. How are you feeling? And um, and uh, yeah, what do you, what do you uh, how do you approach the beginning of this race? And let's just take it away on your end. Man, I the start was I, I kind of called it the calm before the calm. It was the weirdest thing. Like I've never been so chill before a race. And at the same time, like I'm fully aware that this is the biggest race that I've ever done. Like this, I have not done anything of this kind of magnitude ever. Um, the, the things I've done in the mountains that were like, even just around a hundred miles were not races. They were, they, they were slower going and things I had no pressure for really. Um, and this should have been something that put a lot of pressure on myself, but I think the way I built to it and like got to crew you guys and sweep at Tahoe and, and everything like I had really seen a lot of it and, and kind of figured out what I thought I needed to do in the process of if you do A, B, C, and D, then this is going to be what happens. Um, and I was just unbelievably calm at the start line. Like it, it probably, it made no sense to me whatsoever, but somehow that happened. So it was a good thing. Um, because I knew as this went on, like I needed to take this in single days and small chunks. Um, and if you're nervous about stuff, you're, you're kind of wasting more energy. Um, so I was incredibly happy that I was calm. Um, and I knew that basically was Kathleen? Kathleen was okay. Was she, calm? she was, she was excited. I think for me, she knew that it had been so long since I did something so big um, she was probably a little nervous that she wasn't going to tell me, you know, you don't want to like, let that on to your partner, right? Like that you're nervous for them. Um, but she was definitely excited. I think I'm going to fuck that up with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you're going to be too excited. Tahoe, I, I'm like, I, I don't like hide my feelings very well. <laughs> like I, express everything that's that's a good thing and he's gonna need that energy but at the same time like one thing that i knew would happen is you've got to be able to sleep and if you're too amped up or nervous or anything like that you're not going to be able to sleep i actually met a guy that like i would have run most of the race with uh but he got really amped up kind of early on when some family came in he hadn't seen and they were supposed to be pacing him and then he just couldn't go to sleep and that ended up being kind of a crux for him. He's, he's coming back, but yeah, that at the end of the day, that was, that was the problem for him. So now he's going to go back and figure that out and come back for it. But I think maybe having been around some of the other races and even like when I swept at Tahoe, the scariest thing to me by the end was seeing people that hadn't slept 
getting super delusional. And we practically had to grab him by the pack and pull him back from ledges and stuff. Uh, like it got, it got scary and sketchy. Um, I came home and Kathleen's like, well, what did you think? And I'm like, I don't know that I'm okay with you doing Moab <laughs> after what I saw with these people that, that were just like totally out there and hallucinating and all this stuff. So I, I mean, I guess a certain sense of it was in my mind, I was already like, you're going to stay calm because if you don't stay calm, you're going to like mess yourself up. Uh, so that my advice to you is try to just keep, keep your cool enough to keep him cool. Uh, <laughs> or just wear him out. Hopefully he gets worn out and he, he preps for it. Right. You know, what I've noticed <laughs> is that Regina just acts like she doesn't give a shit. Like before the race, during the race, it's just like the same, whatever <laughs> look, it's just like no excitement, no if stress, she's no anxiety, everything before the race, during the race, after the race. Like, I don't know if she's containing her excitement for me or, um, I'm just not doing a hard enough race. I don't know. Maybe we got to do a 400 miler. We'll see. I, but, I can tell you on the flip side, like I've seen her nervous. So she's just, she's just got the poker face for you, bro. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I will talk to you after this. I would love to hear about her being nervous. <laughs> Something. I'd love to see her show some care. Um, but the start of this race is renowned for, um, for as we didn't mention this ahead of time, going around Mount St. Helens. Yes. Um, the infamous um, 1980s volcanic eruption um, just inspired a great series of movies in the 90s like Dante's Peak and Volcano. Love those movies. Um, but yeah, so the first day is a real banger of a day. It's hot, ex- mostly exposed, correct? Yep. Um, and you're going around probably the most beautiful part of the course. Depends mm-hmm. on what you're into. Um, so, and you don't, you know, Again, the first day of most of these races, you don't have a pacer until mile 60 or 70. Um, This one, I'm not so sure when you get them. But yeah, you could possibly be alone for a lot. And I believe this race was a uh, late start, correct? Like a 9? 9 a.m. Because because it's point to point, so many of the people uh, that are running it that are alone, um, they bust them in. And it's such a long drive that they leave pretty early, but they take a bus from Randall and drive around to Cougar, more or less Mount St. Helen, where the trail starts out. The late start was kind of nice because it was still, I mean, it was still relatively early for there. It wasn't terribly hot compared to here. Um, I was able to get a really good night's sleep, kind of rest in, get a good breakfast, have plenty of time. We drove over from an Airbnb and we're there in plenty of time. I think that helped, you know, being kind of chill about it too. Um, so yeah, it was a 9 a.m. start. And then as it kicks off from there, we kind of took the group picture. I found myself getting a little emotional when when Candace starts doing the, uh, the little oath thing. I was like, holy cow, like I'm actually doing this now. I've been here for this so many times and, I, and now it's me. And uh, the next thing you know, here we go. And... I got a pretty good starting place, um, you know, closer to probably the first third, uh, to start out. Um, I was happy with that. I don't like starting out in the back, even though I'm no, I'm not the fastest guy there. I just hate getting in the conga line way in back. And we were going up a climb and I felt pretty confident about being able to, to keep a good steady pace. 
um, for the climb. I did. And it was, you start out on like a Jeep road. Um, so it's kind of two lanes and you can even get in the middle if you needed to. And that was really nice because you're going up what looked to be like close to a 2000 foot climb. So it really let everybody kind of fall in line. You could kind of move around and get in the place you wanted to be and figure out, okay, well, this is fast enough. I'm going to stay right here. And then other people were passing. Everybody was really cool, you know, doing that with each other and help like letting people find their place. Uh, because we knew from there it was going to get, you know, a little rocky and rough. Uh, so you really wanted to be at the pace you, you needed to be at. So the first climb was nice. Everybody kind of fell into place really well. Um, I, I, let's see, I, um, I kind of, I took a position probably, let's see, sorry, I was going to get into my notes to remember where I was at. Um, So I would say like my legs and everything got in the, it kind of really into a groove and I just knew I was going to be moving where I needed to be for a while. Um, and then after we kind of got through that climb, we came out of the trees and really got into what they call the blast zone there. So everything, you know, from that Mount St. Helens eruption, like things haven't just grown back everywhere in the last 40 years. You know, this thing blew ash and rocks and stuff everywhere it's not really the kind of stuff that plants just grow right out of. Um, so aside from areas where there was a lot of water, when you got out into the drier sections, it's just a lot of rocks and a lot of sand. I was really thinking of, uh, I kind of had this weird FOMO for habanero for all my friends that were down there. And there was so much volcanic sand that I didn't, I got over that like really, really, really quickly. Um, I went through more sand than, than those guys did. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, you did. Cause everyone quit at 18 miles. So I'm pretty sure you went through more sand than them. <laughs> Just in the um, first day. It lasted to 25. Thank you very much. So. <laughs> Andrew was the last person standing then. <laughs> Bravo, my man. Bravo. Um, so you know, one of the things too, that came in with that, that I was really aware of, was because of this loose sand and because of this loose rock, it was really going to wear on the stabilizer muscles and the ankles and the knees. That was actually something I learned from running habanero, you know, multiple times years ago, but I did a really good job in my ramp up to this. I, I had an ankle that I've had problems with for years and I spent the last year, like every day before I would run doing mobility exercises to strengthen that like just religiously. I still did them all the way up to the end. I even did them that morning before we left to just to get everything firing off the right way and, and mobile and moving. And I'm really happy with the decision to do that because there was a lot of stuff that could have worked on the stabilizer muscles and I'm sure it took some people down later. Um, but then from there, we would move into what they call the boulder field. I don't know if you've heard about that, Andrew, like specifically. So it was... It was one of the things I found out really quick that was this very notorious section. Um, everyone that had done all the others, the Destination Trail stuff in Cocodona, all said like, man, this is like way rougher than anything they had there. So the Dells, you can put that to the side. The good news is you get this early on. Um, but there were these boulders that 
somewhere from the eruption, it just ended up these huge rocks all over the place. They're bigger than you or I are. I mean, they're thousands of pounds. But what made this section more difficult than others that I've seen, especially when I've heard the term like a boulder section, is that it went on for so long and you couldn't use your trekking poles. Like you just really couldn't. You were having to get on top of these things and kind of hop from one to the other. And you would be looking ahead and seeing the little markers, the course markers that they have like clipped onto a rock somewhere. So you know you need to go there. There's not exactly a trail. There's just these boulders. And if you slide off one, your whole leg is going down in between them, potentially like break a leg or something like that. Um, but then at the same time, you if you try to use your trekking poles, you'd get to the next spot where you had to use your hands to climb. And then you're right back to kind of having to hop from point to point. But by the time you've gotten here, the other thing that makes it interesting is you've kind of gotten in a line with people and you're all moving the right pace for each other, like for yourselves. You're not trying to necessarily pass the person in front of you and the person behind you is not faster than you are, but you need to keep moving because everyone's moving. So you were kind of making quick decisions to just step from point to point to point. Um, And every once in a while, you'd get somewhere and be like, crap. I'm totally going the wrong direction. And now the whole conga line's passing you up going the right way and you've got to kind of find your way back into it. But had I not like strengthened my ankle right and had my body absolutely balanced and strong, um, this could have been a crux for a lot of people because yeah, there were, there was a lot of potential to just slip off somewhere. Um, if you didn't have on good shoes, it'd be dumb to not have good shoes in the beginning of a 200 mile race. But if you didn't have good shoes and you slipped, like you could have done some serious damage to one of your legs. And again, like if you're using your trekking poles real regularly, it would have made it a lot easier. If you were out there completely alone, that wouldn't have been bad. But in this situation, you just kind of had to keep moving. And then you were right back to grabbing rocks and moving up stuff um, jumping down off of rocks onto others. And that went on for a while. Um, I really couldn't say how long because I was just so focused on like getting it done. Uh, finally I got done with it and (laughs) I feel like it had been a few miles or something. And and I said something to just one of the guys around and he's like, Oh, we're done with it. Like he had been there before. He's like, no, I promise you that's it. You're good. And that was a real kind of sigh of relief because I thought we were going to go through some trees and then come back out into another open space and be doing this stuff again and again and again. Um, but that was, I mean, that was right there from the start. And then we kind of just, uh, I mean, I think from there we pretty much just moved into, into the next aid station. It went on for a little way. Uh, we dropped down and we rolled into blue Lake aid station. Um, so that was, that was just the first 12 miles. Uh, now I get into, get into the first aid station and I fully expected it from other races, right? When you get into that first aid station, it's always a madhouse. Like nothing, like the volunteers are doing everything they can. Everybody's trying to help everyone at one time. Um, and nothing against anyone that's there. I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm grateful for everyone that was there. But I got in and I, I looked around. I, I kind of went straight to the station for food and everything because it's getting to be about lunchtime. I need to eat something uh, before I roll out. And there is a half a plastic bowl of crushed ruffles 
um, one cup of pickles, apple juice, ginger ale, and Coke. And just like, that's it. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like... At a 200-miler aid station? <laughs> well, it was 12 miles in, Stephanie. I'm trying yeah. to process this. I mean, you don't need sushi yet, hopefully. So. <laughs> okay, I don't... I guess I don't... <laughs> But but I am I I honestly I'm thinking like I want food. Yeah, I wanted food. I I came in there thinking like I need to be eating a sandwich of you know uh, something that's more of a meal because it's the middle of the day and I'm about to go back out for like sixteen seventeen more miles before I get to another aid station. Um. So I was a little surprised by that, but everybody was like scrambling around and I guess I'm, I'm being like super kind. I don't want to like bug anybody and be like, yo, what the heck, where's the food? Uh, that's what I'm thinking in my mind, but I don't want to be that guy. So I look over and I'm like, okay, well I can do water and tailwind and get all this stuff topped off. Maybe they need a couple minutes. It looks like they're getting hit pretty hard. So they may just need a couple minutes to get some stuff on the table. So I get my water, get my tailwind and everything. And I go back over and now there's a half, you know, full bowl of crushed up ruffles. No more pickles. Somebody grabbed that one and ginger ale and apple juice and Coke. And I didn't see anything that was more to the food end or even other snacks. I was, I was a little surprised, but I thought, okay, maybe the expectation is I'm just supposed to get in and out of here and keep moving. Um, so that's basically just what I did. I, I grabbed a little, uh, I think ginger ale, just had a cup of that and headed back out. Um, and again, super grateful for everyone that's there. Like I was watching medical helping people that had already been through some stuff. And, uh, the aid station captain was helping people out with specifics. Like everybody was really doing their job and doing a, a good job of it. They were just overwhelmed. Uh, I get a few miles down the trail and a buddy of mine comes hopping back by and he's like, dude, you just like dipped it. Like you were in and out so fast. And I was like, well, yeah, there wasn't, I mean, all I had to do was fill fluids. There wasn't anything to eat. And I thought that was like the normal for the aid station or whatever. And he's like, man, you didn't get one of the chicken wraps. And I'm like, what? I didn't, I didn't see any food. So apparently there was food and I just missed more of the solid food. And that's, that's my fault. I should have said something, asked something. Somebody probably would have told me, Hey, give us a couple minutes. We'll have this ready. Um, but when I did that, I felt really dumb, but I kind of thought, okay, well, you've messed something up. What do you need to do to fix it? I, I think I'm getting smarter as a runner over the years. So I immediately kind of switched gears and said, what do I need to do right here, right now to fix this? And that meant I needed to dig into my pack and start eating like solid big snacks and eat like a few of them to fill that meal spot. So that's what I did. I, I reached in, I ate a few different things, just uh, knowing that I would, I had more than enough for that morning because I knew I wasn't going to see my, my crew until the end of the day. And given kind of how things were rolling out, I was like, I'm good. I can eat some of this and kind of turn it into a meal. And that's exactly what I did. And, and I'm really super happy with that decision. Um, I got to feel it, you know, I was feeling okay, but I was feeling really good after that. Um, and just kind of kept on hammering on from there. Um, so yeah, it worked out. Um, and then if I recall correctly, um, 
from after I left Blue Lake, I think it was just a little after there, there was a there was a water crossing that was supposed to be initially it was laid out like your shoes may get damp kind of situation. It was like 15 feet or so of just really shallow water that if you kind of step right, maybe your shoes will stay dry, but maybe not. Um, you know, early on I had my feet taped. Uh, I did not want to necessarily get them really wet early on. Um, and by the way, Andrew, I did part of the taping of my feet and Kathleen helped with some trying to kind of teach her as some of this goes. She did a really good job with that. But, uh, good job, Kathleen. (laughs) She's learning. She, she is. Um, but then, so I get to this water, this water crossing and I remembered seeing it in one of the Facebook group messages or, you know, posts, um, that there was actually a way to go over a log over to the side. So I started looking for that. I found the log, but in looking at it in my mind, as much of this stuff as I've been through, I was telling myself, like, this looks like a really dumb crossing. This this just doesn't look like it's the way I should go. But, hey, they're saying that, you know, you can go this way. You can totally keep your feet dry, blah, blah, blah. So I go over there and I keep telling myself not to do it. But some for some reason, I'm still trying to climb down on it and do it. And the log was already a little wet from other people having crossed it. And I slid right off into like shin deep water. So now I don't just have the bottom of my shoes wet. Like I've soaked everything (laughs) halfway up my shins. Um, It was dumb. And I got out and I'm like, why did you not, why did you do that, man? Um, So I cussed at myself for a minute and then other people were coming along. So I took a minute to tell them like, Hey man, the log over there, that thing's wet. That's really not the way to go just crossed through the shallow part. The guy behind me did and kept mostly dry. And he was really happy and thankful that I, you know, passed that on to him. And then he passed me by. And, uh, yeah, so, so that happened and I continued on through the section. And then this was where you got to the rope section. So you went down to a river in a little Canyon Um, And to get down to it and up from it, you had to use a rope that was tied off to trees on the side. It got really steep, kind of that loose volcanic ash, sand stuff, loose rocks. Um, Going down it wasn't so bad. It looked a little more sketchy. And if you don't do this stuff all the time, you're like grabbing a rope, turning around backwards, leading yourself down backwards and hoping you don't bust your ass, right? but that came out okay going down. I got to the bottom and this one was supposed to be a shin deep water crossing. But when you're in Washington, like all this water is coming off of ice melt. Um, that that's always pretty much where it's coming from. So it rises and it drops. And what was there one day ago or, or a week ago always changes some. And it looked like there were good rock crossings you could use if you knew, you know, if you know how to cross rivers like that. Um, it just so happened that guy that I had just given the inform like that had seen me at that other Creek where I told him to just go through it. Uh, he was there in front of me and he pointed me to the, the rock section. So I didn't have to go chase it down. And he's like, he pointed me right to it. 
I knew right where to go and I was able to cross, not get my feet wet this time. My feet were already drying out. So that was really cool. Um, I got up there, thanked him. And then we kind of waited in line because you were having to go one at a time back up this other rope. Um, it was a little longer and looking at it from the ground seemed a whole lot more sketchy. Uh, but it wasn't too bad. You put away your poles and you leaned up with this rope and you grabbed it knot by knot and just pulled yourself up. Uh, lots of loose ash and rocks and the rope, depending on how your, your feet kind of landed could kind of toss you back side to side. So about halfway up and, and there's rock walls kind of around you going up this little slot to get to the top about halfway up. I, the rope kind of just made me fall to my right side hip. Um, and I smacked the crap out of my right side hip. But the good news is I had my cell phone in a side hip pocket there with the screen facing out. So it was really soft on my hip bone and didn't really, you know, leave any bruising or anything. Yeah. Your phone broke the, the hip fall. My, whatever. Yeah. 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 Really well. That was, uh, I want you to say right now that you lost your phone uh, to that incident and were unable to use it. I really want you to say that. I just I'm not going to say else. that. No, damn it. <laughs> but I'm smiling because there's a camera. There, there's Jason Peters is at the top of this taking pictures. So I hit it and in my head. I'm like, son of a. But meanwhile, I'm trying to just not look like I'm hating life for this camera that's here. And I wasn't, I, w- I was having a lot of fun, but I, I was thinking in my head, like, man, my phone is crushed. This is going to suck. I remember this situation for Andrew and I got up to the top and passed him by and I stopped and I pulled out my phone and not even a scratch. I don't know how I didn't like destroy the phone face. Um, but yeah, I guess just, I put the right, good energy into the race and it, uh, it was treating me well. So made it out of that one unscathed and yeah, then then I got out to these. The section from there was really kind of cool in a weird way. You were in this like, I wanted to call it like a desolate prairie kind of thing. Like it should be a mountain prairie, but it's not because it's in a blast zone from a freaking volcano. So every once in a while you would have a stream, but you didn't really have a trail for a large part of it. Um, there were, yeah, you guys know what I mean by Kerns, the stacked rocks, right? Yeah. That that's all the controversy of like, oh, you're not supposed to have, well, this is the prime example of where those things belong. There's no trees. There's no, there's so much rock and sand. You can't really have a set trail that you're going to know. So these were put out long, long ago in just very big round stacks to mark your path. And that's where you would go. Now, Destination Trails did put little, you know, little markers on them. So you knew that that was where you were going. But it became pretty evident pretty quick. Like, hey, I've just got to follow these. If I see one of these 100 yards ahead, that's where I need to go. Um, There wasn't any, for a large part, you wouldn't specifically know exactly what the trail was. Um, So I got to go along like that for quite a while. You'd cross some water. You'd come back out and you'd get up to the ledge from there go down further. And meanwhile, off to your right hand side is Mount St. Helens. Like you're actually pretty close to it. And, um, you could see this huge waterfall. Like at first I was hearing water and I'm like, that doesn't sound like the water that's right here at these creeks. 
And you looked up and it's the glacier melt waterfalls. If you've never seen one of those in person, they're just amazing. You can see them from miles away and they're just freaking huge. Um, I couldn't tell you if it was 300 feet or 500 feet or a thousand feet, but it was just this massive waterfall coming way off and dropping down to the base of the mountain. And then I'm assuming it was either feeding these streams or the river that we came down and crossed. Um, but it's really cool and kind of just magical to see. It's, it's like something out of a, you know, fairy tale kind of thing. And, uh, so that went on for a while before I think I kind of came back to another, like another kind of tree line area. And let's see, I think that's, yeah, that then, it kind of got to a, uh, oh, oh, that's where it was. So it wasn't really a tree area. From there, you went on, and then eventually you'd see this gravel road going up the side of a mountain, and that was leading you to Windy Ridge. Um, it was a really good, like, modern fire road that was big, gravel, wide. Um, for reference, the backside of Mount Eldon in Cocodona, uh, Andrew, was that big road. It was very similar to that. And you took that all the way up to Windy Ridge. I was able to like, I even put my poles away and kind of messed with some stuff, hydration, different things in my vest I needed to adjust because it was just a good steady climb. Um, rolled into Windy Ridge and you could have crew at Windy Ridge, but because of that driving situation, I opted to not have crew there. Uh, I knew I could go the first day and just see them at night. Um, rolled into Windy Ridge. The food situation was good and everything. I started eating quesadillas and some watermelon and refilled hydration, but I kind of kept it quick, got in there, got back out there. Just to me, there's not a lot of reason to, you know, I'm seeing these people sitting down and taking off their vest and doing all this stuff. And I just didn't feel like there was a need for that at this point. I was going to get to my crew and sleep that night. Uh, if I didn't need to change much, there wasn't any point in it. Right. So refilled, uh, I actually ate a few things and then on the way out, I grabbed some quesadillas knowing I had this long downhill road. Uh, my goal was to try to run a good portion of it, you know, really solid, but also to get some calories in, make up for kind of lost, lost calories before. So I ate quesadillas going down, um, probably a bit too much. Then I started running and <laughs> the belly was telling me, okay, you might want to take a minute, dude. And so I did, but before, before too long, I was back in it. I was really moving. I ran down it. And then I rolled into the section heading to Coldwater Lake. Um, that section, that section was really cool. I mean, I came down off a of windy Ridge and it's getting later in the day. It's cooling down a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm actually running off into the sunset, like literally. So it was just beautiful to be heading into the sunset in this beautiful place. And I've got now I'm like Mount St. Helens is more or less off to my left. Um, Spirit Lake is off to my right. Spirit Lake is just this huge, beautiful lake up in the mountains. Um, and as I, I'm trying to think here, as I went through that section, it was really kind of flat and I was rolling, but 
it was flat for everything that this race is for quite a number of miles and the sun was setting and I really just enjoyed that. It was flat out beautiful. I was all alone, really loved it. And then I started getting closer to Johnston Ridge, which was an aid station, but there's a road washed out to Johnston Ridge. So there were parking lots there and all of this infrastructure, but that you can't get to it. And it's still going to be a while before it's fixed. Um, when I got there, it was, it was just getting dark and it was getting into that situation where you really have to start using Gaia. Um, and if a lot of times you can, at least I've seen at other ones of these events, just that I've been around, there's some people that aren't sure about using Gaia. And then there's some people that know how to use it and they'll just go right to it. And that, you know, no problem. Um, when I got to the Johnston Ridge area, I, I feel like I was that person that knew how to use it and other people weren't so sure of it. Or maybe I just did a little better job at the moment. And the next thing I know, I had like five people following me. Um, I don't even know how we all kind of got there around that time because I'd been alone for such a while, but I got up around the parking lots and figured out that there were like little offshoots of trails and stuff. So I was really kind of navigating that everyone fell in behind me and Johnson Ridge became just that, like you were running along a Ridge for a while and then you got into some real Ridge trail, which I think you guys are probably both familiar you know, with ridge trails. Um, but ridge trails are, there's a sharp incline up one side, you're on a little bitty trail and there's a sharp decline down the other. And we're still in a lot about this race having some scary, some sketchy. Uh, so that's, that's one thing that I'm a little worried about. So yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot about this race in particular. It, it was the thing that if there was, if there was anywhere where you could say, Jason, could you have like really made up some time in these sections? Maybe if I just like, could I have just hammered down and ran some of this? Maybe, but did I feel comfortable doing that? Not so much. No. Um, I, I wasn't in it to try to win anything, but when I got into these sections, I just tried to be really smart. Um, I've been on a good number of ridges, not as much as people that live in the mountains. Right. But some of it's kind of loose and this whole section that we're in is still blast on stuff. So it's sand and it's looser rocks. Um, there's not a lot of like, I don't mind them as much when you're in the forest and there's a lot of solid dirt and plants and vegetation, like holding everything together. Um, but this was not that. And it was at night. It's like your first night. You're just kind of getting acclimated to being out all night long. Right. Um, so I kind of took it easy through this, but I also had several people following me, which I stopped and said, Hey, if anybody wants to pass, you know, you're more than welcome. And they were all like, no, man, you're doing great. <laughs> so here I am stuck, uh, leading everybody down the side of a mountain. And that went on for like several miles, but having everybody there and like it, in kind of this weird way. I like having a purpose of like other people. So I knew okay, I need to make sure we do this right. I need to make sure everybody behind me stays safe and that we don't do anything stupid and just kind of put it on cruise. And we went with it. We ran where we could, where it got a little iffy. Then I would take my time a little more slowly. I would even try to let people know like, Hey, watch this spot. If something just seemed a little edgy for me. Um, 
And that went really well until we got down off of Johnston Ridge. Um, at which time I had had these people behind me for several miles. Nobody was really talking and I had to pee for a while. So I found a spot and I was like, Hey guys, you y'all go on ahead. I'm going to stop and pee real quick. And I just peeled off and took a leak. So they went on and it was kind of a little bit of a relief to not have everybody there. It made me feel like I could slow down some on the same note. I'm like, well, I, I don't want to slow down. I want to keep moving solid while I can. Um, so in my mind, I was like, can I, can I try to maybe catch up to him in a bit? So I'm looking through the woods and trying to do that. And, you know, we're in a lower spot. That's just this big, I mean, it was really flat for quite a while. And I thought I saw him, you know, like where the trail had gone ahead and maybe curved around. And I thought I saw him come back in my view from my right to my left, but the headlights looked a little weird. And then all of a sudden the trees right in front of me made this like huge crash. And I decided, okay, that wasn't them a quarter mile ahead. Uh, what the hell just smashed through these trees and made all this noise. Um, so I stopped like dead on stop. I, so my first thought was like, did a bear just cross my path? The lights that I saw, I realized at that time were eyes. Um, they were probably 25, 30 yards in front of me and made plenty of big noise, but I couldn't see anything with my headlamp. So I started making noise, you know, just kind of the, Hey, is that you bear kind of thing? Uh, bear. And, and then honestly, like I knew at that elevation, we were too low for there to be bears. Um, I talked to Ryan and he told me like this season, you haven't seen hardly any of them because it's been so hot. Like they've gone to other places. So I was thinking it probably wouldn't be a bear, but it definitely wasn't a deer. It was much bigger than a deer. And I kind of thought like, well, could a bear be going from one area to the other? It's a like weather's really weird. Is it trying to get somewhere because berry season's starting? So in my mind, I knew it was still a possibility. Um, but I kind of after, a, well, so I waited around a little bit to see if anybody was coming behind us. I'd seen some other people back there after a couple minutes of nobody coming and I'm just making noise and I'm not hearing anything anymore. I said, all right, like it's time to go. So I just kind of laid it down and ran for a bit, got on past that section. Um, there wasn't anything laying in wait for me and I was fine. But in, in hindsight, I think it was probably an elk because there are elk in the area. The terrain kind of fit. Um, I just hadn't seen any. So it was something I didn't really expect there. Uh, but it made for some excitement and some fun, you know, before I got into the next aid station and then just didn't tell my wife about it at all. And, <laughs> um, yeah. And that, I mean, that was kind of the last of that section from there. I rolled into Coldwater Lake. Um, it was a, it was a flat run in and that's where I finally saw crew. Um, that's where I, I mean, I knew that was already the place I was going to sleep for the night. Whenever I, Andrew, I talked with you some about like laying out all my timeline and I knew I could skip them being at Windy Ridge. They could be at Coldwater Lake. I could definitely sleep there, um, refuel, you know, repack everything I needed in my pack. And that's where I picked up my first pacer. It's only 45 miles in when you get your first pacer, which isn't, isn't really bad at all. Um, 
so that was that was what happened i rolled right into Coldwater lake um i I'm trying to remember if i may have ordered food i don't think i got anything in the van so i'm pretty sure i got it from the aid station uh and pretty much went straight into the van and then went into what i would call like the routine um the so when i get into the van kathleen oh this you'll appreciate this one andrew kathleen was straight to business like she was like okay here here's what we need to do and then i haven't seen any of these people all day i honestly like hadn't really been around a lot of people to talk to and I get in and Javier and Ryan are like, Hey, how was it? And everything. And the next thing I start doing is just what you do. You didn't talk. So now I sit down and I start producing an episode of happy endings podcast. The people in front of me about every single freaking thing that I did all day long. (laughs) And and I'm just blabbing my mouth about everything. And it kind of clicks to me. I'm like, Oh, this is what Andrew was doing at Coca Dona when we were like, Hey man, you need to get your stuff in order and do this and do that. So it didn't take me too long to just click like, Oh, okay. Hey, we'll talk more about this later guys. Yeah. It's been awesome. You just want to tell everyone, you know, sympathy, you know, it's like, Oh, that was so brutal or, Oh man. I was, I was excited. I was, Yeah. yeah, I was totally excited about everything from the day, but I knew I needed to just do what was in front of me. Like, or I, I needed to do the things to get some rest. And that's kind of like this routine that we had worked out where you take off your watch, you hand over your phone, those go on chargers, making sure everything's charged. Same with your headlight. Uh, same with your, you know, waist light, make sure this stuff's getting charged. Everything's fresh. Um, so I kind of went, went to business and did that, um, started eating everything while we were refilling my pack and deciding what needed to go in the pack. Um, we're doing all this before I go to bed because if they're trying to do this while you're trying to sleep, there's a bunch of noise and you're probably not going to rest right. So it's best to just do it and get it out of the way and then get some rest. So I'm eating, drinking different stuff, whether it's like, uh, I think we had some Gatorades, some ginger ale, stuff like that in there that were specifically for me to drink while I was resting. Um, I knocked all that out. I hop on the bed in the van and we're putting CBD on and uh, I'm trying to lay down and go to, you know, get some rest. CBD, chafing stuff, wherever, where everything, wherever something was irritated, I went ahead and put that on because I found several spots where I was like, oh shit, I didn't know this was going to get chafing, (laughs) but but here it is. So um, did all that stuff, laid down, went to sleep. And I had banked a a lot of time from what my A goal was. And after having been at, uh, at when we were at, um, never summer, we bumped into Stefan and I, I met him and you and I and him and Wes were all talking and he was telling us he was sleeping like three hours a night at maybe it was Moab. Um, but we, you were kind of surprised and I was a little bit too, but I got to thinking about other people that had really slept longer and the performance that I had seen out of them. And I thought, you know, that might not be a bad idea for the first couple days. Like if you're ahead of time to try to get a little extra sleep, um, everyone that does it seems to come out like super fresh and make up more than 
you know, more time than what it looks like they, they quote unquote wasted sleeping an extra hour. You're not, if you're going to be there for four and a half days, you're not wasting rest. Like you, you need it. Um, I, again, I'd been really calm from the start. So I had it in my mind. Like, I think I can really like fall asleep here and get some good rest. And I told him I wanted to shoot for three hours. If I woke up before that, then kick me out. Um, but if I get three hours, like, let me get three hours. And I laid back, went to sleep three hours later. Like I, yeah, I got the full three hours and hopped up, got everything in order and we were back out. And I felt like I had a full night's rest. Like I was ready to just start over. Like it was completely brand new. Um, that was a really good decision. And Stefan, if you listen to this, thank you. That was a, that was a good call. Um, and yeah. You guys are crazy. I don't know how you guys can sleep for that long. Just, I, I need to learn how to do it, but yeah. You could start um, with a nice bed. Yeah, it's true. I haven't had too much nice things to sleep in during these. No, races, you gotta but... get all these nice Airbnbs for us to go lounge around in. Yeah. What do you get? You get a back of a, a high Toyota, Toyota Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with nothing. No padding. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah work in progress. Uh, so anyway, from there, uh, Kathleen jumps in as my first pacer. Um, Coldwater Lake to Norway pass. I mean, everything that I did with the pacers and the order that I put them in, uh, was strategic, whether it kind of in part between logistics of driving and good roads versus bad roads. Also to, how tired are they going to be from the sections that I put them in? Right. Like I didn't initially, it looked like I was going to have Ryan on both of the big climbs of the race and he's super strong, but that just doesn't make sense. Right. Like you want your team to be rested. So I moved things around and put Kathleen on the first section because she's a great climber and I knew it would be good to see my wife and like get to catch up with her for a while. Um, I hadn't seen her in a day. So that that's the way we started out. And that climb was about 3000 feet, maybe a little over. Um, it really didn't come out to be that bad. Like it looked like on the elevation chart, you know, it, it that's a pretty straight, like you're going up 3000 feet. There's not much dropping and going back up where you're getting any rest. Um, but it didn't, it didn't come out to be, bad at all um so i i will say as soon as we took off she was so excited that we went to the aid station said hey 91 out they told us the direction to go we go down that direction and i look up and she's about to just walk down a dock at a boat dock at the end of the clearwater lake <laughs> She's just totally missed the trail. And I, I, she was laughing about this earlier too. I'm not like picking at her or anything. She was just excited. And I was, so I had to stop her and like, Hey, I don't think we're taking the, the, the dock into the lake. I'm pretty sure that's not the trail. We should probably check Gaia real quick. And we just missed it. Like five feet back, there were markers and it just took you around the edge of the lake. We were there for several miles. Um, that would have been really pretty, but it was, it was nighttime still. Um, this section was supposed to be like the most beautiful section, according to stuff in writing that I found. Um, it was a 19 mile section. 
So you're going quite a long way without having an aid station for water. Um, but in this race, a water filter is your best friend. And you don't bring a water filter that fits into one 500 milliliter flask. You need to bring um, like a, um, a Katadyne B-Free or I actually had a one and a half liter from Hydroflask, which is the same filter as Katadyne. That's the most well-known one. Um, this thing rolled up to be a, about the size of two fists and fit in the side of my pack. And the cool thing with it is I could dip it into a stream and fill the whole fill a liter and a half up and then fill everything up pretty quickly without having to refill and refill and hop back into the water and back and forth. We learned when we did Wonderland that really slows you down. So having a good sized water filter in a situation like this is very helpful. And realistically, I could have put water in the filter, shoved it in my pack and just kept going to like adjust stuff later. Um, in Washington, when you get to talking to people that are from there, there are a large majority of them that don't even filter the water. Um, or if they do, they'll do it more with like a buff to just keep debris out of it. There's usually two types of streams. There's, there's silt streams, um, which are always like a gray color. Um, now in the blast zone, it was a little different, but on other mountains where there's glaciers up there, if the glacier is broken away from the mountain, it will cause silt in the, in the water. It's not that you can't drink that water. It just clogs your filter. Um, then there's the water that's really clear. And a lot of people will drink that directly without a filter. The people that are, that are from there because the water is just that, that clear and, and clean. It's so weird being from Texas, right? You're like, I'm not, dr I'm looking at Stephanie's face. She's like, I ain't drinking none of that. <laughs> But you learn like this is this water has been frozen forever before it comes to you. It's directly from the source. It, it is delicious in its own you know, way. Like it's just the purest, cleanest water. Some of it I've had from really close to glaciers. It's just amazing. Um, so I didn't have any hesitation in that. Uh, but we knew that during this section, it was going to be important for us to be filtering water. And we didn't have a problem with it. Uh, it's something if you go into this race, you need to go ahead and accept and get familiar with, because if not, you could really screw something up real quick. Um, and so as we rolled out into this section, there was the guidance that you would finally come to a river with a bridge across it. And that's where you, your last fill up was about 10 miles in before you really got into the main part of the climb. I think it was, no, this one wasn't 10 miles in Forgive me. Forgive me on the distance. I forget what the distance was in it, but basically that the river was the last place for you to fill up and you needed to refill there before you went on. Um, we had missed something about the bridge. It just didn't ring a bell or it wasn't on our mind. And we actually filled up at a stream that we kind of thought like, this should probably be about the last stream that we're going to see. Uh, we filled up there and I'm actually much happier that we did there than the river because this was a stream that we crossed that was right there. It was right beside us. Like we had to hop over rocks to get across it. Um, if we would have waited until we got to the river, we were going to have to go down. I'm going to guess it was about 20, maybe 30 feet, probably not quite 30, but we would have to drop down a trail down to the side, go down to the river, fill up there, and then climb back out and go across. So it was just more time consuming. And the quality was about the same 
I think it might have been one mile or like a half mile difference in distance. So we knew we were going to like, since we were already filled up, we had used a few sips, but we knew we had everything we needed. We didn't need to go back down and refill another, you know, four ounces of water a piece. Um, so I, I was happy with that. I would say if somebody was going through there, if they, if they knew how to use uh, Gaia, well, they could kind of mark that they were already at the last of the streams and just fill up there. Um, and then going to that section, it was considered one of the most beautiful sections. They, so were told we were there a little before sunrise and into sunrise. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, eventually, you go up to um, you go up to Mount Marguerite, Mar, uh, Mar- not Margaret, but Mount Margaret. Uh, saying it wrong here. Mount Marguerite is what they called it. Um, really beautiful climb, good climb up to it. It was kind of an out and back. And when we got up to the top of it, there was a photographer there uh, taking pictures. And behind you, as you were climbing up, you didn't even realize it was just this great view of of uh, Mount St. Helens. Uh, but when we got there, they you know had us look around a little bit and everything. And it was really gorgeous. And just to see where where we had been the day before and so close to the mountain and where we were now. And then from there, it was supposed to be all downhill to the next aid station except for the part where we kept finding these uphills that were kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to, they weren't irritating in a bad way, but <laughs> every like half mile Kathleen and I were like, man, this sure is a weird downhill. <laughs> That's the unexpected stuff that yeah. irritated you the most up until this point. How were the, the climbs? Um, like as far as technicality and just as you expected, it seems like, you know, up until now, you were handling them really well. I still was. Um, they were, I mean, we were coming out of a 3000 foot climb there roughly. And I can say like, I've done a fair bit of those and I'm, I'm comfortable with them now. Uh, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was, it was definitely, you're climbing a freaking mountain, but it wasn't horrible. It was the trail there was really good. Um, now you, the thing that always came into play is you were still in this sand as they called it, which was volcanic ash and kind of looser rocks in different sections. So you had to be mindful of where you were stepping. Um, if there was footing from where feet had been before, as you were climbing up, I always tried to use that or use a solid rock that was like buried in there. Um, but if you know how to just climb up using your poles, three points of contact at all times kind of thing, then it was, it was fine. It wasn't really bad at all. I didn't, I didn't feel like I got into any sketchy places up to this point besides that Ridge. Um, and the Ridge was still all in all, the Ridge was still pretty good. You just have to be mindful when you're in places like that, uh, pay attention and know when to slow down and make sure your footing's solid. So up to this point, I'm still really pleased with it. Um, but again, we're in the blast zone. This is, um, this isn't getting into the quite into the forest yet. Um, so yeah, we went up to Mount Marguerite we came down from there, kind of bobbled back, back and forth until we got to Norway pass aid station. Um, and remember at this point, they're still using their phones some for the tracker, 
for the crew. And then Steve is sending messages about what expectations are and when I'll be coming in. And I'm still moving really good. So we just went up a climb. The estimation on that climb had us coming in at like 11 at Norway Pass. But Kathleen and I got to doing work as we started coming down. And we basically dropped the van. (laughs) Uh, We got into Norway Pass and there's cars in the parking lot. There's cars up and down the road. And we go to like, first thing we notice is like Javier is not standing around or neither is Ryan. Like, where are these guys at? We go up and down the road. Our van is nowhere to be found. Um, I had thought I laid out pretty well that the drive out to this one doesn't look very far on paper, but it's much longer when you make the drive. And as it would turn out, They thought we would be there at about 11. They got there about 11, but we had been there for (laughs) almost, it was a little under a half hour, but I was able to eat. I was able to get everything in order. So whenever they rolled in, we didn't really lose any time or anything. Uh, I kind of got a kick out of the fact that I just beat them there. Uh, And they were very apologetic, but at the same time I told them, it was like, this wasn't your fault. You didn't know how long that road was going to be in the projector. Like everything told you I'd be here at 11. Um, so it all worked out. Um, Kathleen was a little nervous at first about it, but then I realized she really just wanted me to like drop them and she wanted to get free sections of running. That was somebody else's miles. <laughs> Cause if you know, Kathleen, that's how she is. Like, that's why I didn't run at Cocodona. That was, she's like, I want all the miles. She fucking bogarded those miles. <laughs> yeah, she she'll bogard some miles quick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> So anyway, they got there and this was Ryan's section. He was going to take me through the next two sections, um, which weren't going to be super difficult, but that was kind of part of the plan was that he was going to have the biggest climb that was supposed to be a crux, according to a lot of people. Um, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to hit him too hard. Uh, so yeah, so then, um, Ryan jumps in at Norway Pass, and if I'm thinking of this section, like, this was supposed to be an easy section, and it really kind of seems like it was. Like, we, he and I had never spent, like, this much time together, so we talked a whole lot. Um, It was an 11-mile section. It was good trail. It was supposed to have logs to cross and stuff. And we had a little bit of those, but I didn't feel like it was anything too crazy. Um, Also, I was okay at getting around them and he was actually good at navigating across them and around them and stuff too. So that was helpful. But I feel like I made real easy work of this section. Like I don't, when I was kind of writing up notes and stuff, I didn't have a lot about it. Not in a bad way. Like we started out kind of in the blast zone and then moved into the forest. So it changed a bit. Um, but all in all, it was a good section, kind of quicker in a way. And um, when we got to Elk Pass, Elk Pass was another aid station that I could have people. But because of the driving logistics, I told them, skip that one. It's only 11 miles since I've seen you and a really long drive. So like, just go on to road 9327. Um, so that's that's what they did. Um, so we rolled into Elk Pass. Another cool thing about <laughs> cool thing about not having crew 
was that uh, we just grabbed stuff and kind of got in and got out. We got food, we refilled everything. There wasn't a bunch of time of people asking a bunch of questions, trying to refill your pack. We just ate, loaded up on hydration, rolled right back out. Um, now that somewhere between Elk Pass, it, it may have even been between Norway Pass and Elk Pass, but somewhere right around here, the trail changed and it went from like really nice, pretty trail trail to being in this like dirt bike ditch trail. So a large portion of the course, again, this is so remote out here. There's like a through dirt bike trail that goes through Washington, um, through the Sierras I didn't really know about it until I got here. I remember in, I think, West Plate's video, um, he like interacts, he sees one of the mountain biker or the, the dirt bikers and stuff. And so I knew it was there somewhere. I didn't know how long that would be there or how rough that would be. But we got into that section at this point. Um, it's like you were going, you were hiking in a ditch. And then they don't really use switchbacks because they're on a dirt bike, right? They can just go right up stuff pretty fairly steep. Um, that's where things kind of shifted a little bit. And that put a burden on my feet that I did not expect. Um, now, and on the same note, I know like a lot of runners and stuff, my first thought would be like, what the hell are they doing tearing up these trails with these dirt bikes? Like, why are they out here doing this? They're just destroying nature. But I've come to realize even before this, I've known about some of these trails. And you almost have to think about it the way trail runners, like some hikers would say trail runners move across things too fast and everything. Um, we try to get to these places that are really difficult to get to by carrying less and getting in and out of them quick, right? Like we can, we can get to more far off places that without having to have 30 pounds of gear and pack in for a week and weeks of vacation. So these guys will go in on these dirt bikes and it doesn't take them, you know, they, they don't need a whole lot of gear to do it, but they can get a really long way, way back into this beautiful place to go see it really efficiently and yeah, their trails kind of tear some stuff up, but these are their trails. These aren't really, these trails aren't hiker trails most of the time. You can go hike them. You have to be aware of where you're at. Um, but that's specifically what these trails are for. And I, I kind of had this huge respect for it. And even on the, the, at the same time, what we noticed is like, there were no dirt bike people out here. There was one guy we saw that probably didn't know this stuff was going on because it's just as fast as you're moving through, you wouldn't want to run over someone. Um, but realistically, I think they even knew what was going on and, and kind of left the trails alone for this event, which seems to be pretty cool to me as well. Um, on the same flip side, the problem that I ran into with this, I mean, just think of a literal ditch is that now my feet as they're landing the outside of my shoe is just brushing up the side of the heel of my foot and the side and the top of my pinky toe, like just rubbing it in a way that 
I've never really had for an extended period of time. Like we've ran on trails, we've, we've all ran on trails that were uneven or whatever, and you'd have to deal with that for a little bit. But this was this was going to be a lot of mileage. Like by the end of it, I I don't know if it would be fifty miles, maybe more, maybe seventy throughout the course of it that we would see these trails in other places. And I may be way off. Maybe it's only thirty. Um, but that was going to wear on me later in ways I just didn't really expect. Um, all the right taping and everything to the side. Uh, after a while I could tell like things were rubbing on those, on the pinky toes and on the side of my heel that I were, was going to have to deal with. Um, but for the most part, rolling through this section to road 9327, um, it still wasn't bad. We were on a bit of a climb from elk pass, but it was long and slow and kind of rolling. And then we got to probably around mile 85, and it was just going to drop down to to uh, Elk Pass. Now, this was dropping down that same trail, which really beat the crap out of the toes. Um, and it pretty much dropped straight down for 1,500 feet or so. Um, and I'm trying to think of if there was really anything else in that section. Um, I mean, I had a really good time with Ryan. It was just, we just chatted and kind of rolled through everything. Um, and that was also, I mean, that was a whole day from Coldwater Lake when I picked up Kathleen to picking up Ryan rolling through the day. And now we're back to nighttime. So we roll in at the end of that section. Um, my feet are getting a little beat. Um, but I rolled right back into the aid station and went back into the routine that I need to go into. Got in, um, we started, you know, checking the pack, changing, like changing all the batteries for elect or charging the electronics, changing batteries in those eat while everyone is doing this stuff. Um, change clothes, CBD on everything, chafing stuff on everything. Only the best CBD and chafing, by the way, wild sense products exclusively. If you haven't heard about them, you should, should check them out. Uh, <laughs> and then sleep. This time, I think I did about two and a half hours, maybe 2.15. Uh, but it was still, I had bank time throughout the day. So I wanted to use that time. I'm still in front of my A goal that I set. So it was kind of like the thought was, if I'm that far in front of the A goal, then I should probably bank that in some rest. And again, same thing. Like I did that and I woke up feeling like a brand new day, super rested, um, and ready for the start of the third day. So do you think that's part of why you recovered so well is that you had such good sleep sessions? I, I kind of think so, but I mean, I, I think it was several things as a whole. I rested really well. I did everything I was supposed to in my training block, like for the people. And I used to do it years ago. I would not always get everything done. That was in my training block. I would go into a race having done probably 70% of what I was supposed to do the right way. Um, but this block, if I was supposed to do a long run with my pack for four hours and 
it turns out that Saturday morning, it was like 95 degrees at the start and it was going to be a hundred plus shortly after I was still putting on my whole pack. I was still going out. I was still doing the whole damn workout and I stuck to that plan solid. And I know that played a part in it. I know resting well played a part in it. Um, I trying to make sure I, I ate properly throughout like that. I was getting in plenty of calories, plenty of hydration, um, just doing everything that everyone over the years when I was a younger runner was saying to do now a little older and wiser, I'm executing that to a T. And I think, I think the combination of it all played into the recovery probably. Yeah. Probably all of it more than anything. How are you feeling mentally at this point? I mean, you're almost halfway. Oh, dude, I'm having a blast. Yeah, I just you need to teach me your ways. <laughs> I mean, I start. I usually start falling apart. Uh, granite Dells with Kathleen Copadona. That's where I fell apart. That's what so, I'm really on, dude. <laughs> so my big thing was approaching the race with gratitude, like that. Uh, I can't say enough about that. Like I am so grateful that I was able to be here. So like to kind of, and I probably should lay just a little bit of that as well is I, you know, I'm five years sober. Uh, I quit drinking five years ago and that was a big positive change in my life um, that needed to happen. It's just, uh, it's, a genetic thing in my family. Like I know that I didn't need to drink it. Just, I would open one and I would drink them all. And since then I have a lot of gratitude in my life for all of the good that is there that I'm so fortunate to have, like all of the people that, that actually love me, um, all of the good things in my life, a wife that supports me and decided to start, this business with me that would allow us to like fit our lives fully into the trail running community with work. Um, and I, I like, I'm so grateful for what I've had in the past year and the ability to focus and train and have a coach that, you know, was guiding me on the way of making, you know, of giving me the things, the tools I needed to do all this stuff. Right. Um, I, I am so grateful for all of that. So every day going into this, I couldn't look at anything as though it was going to be treacherous. I was going to be in this beautiful place that I've worked so freaking hard to get to. Um, and in the middle of working hard for that, I've been working my tail off for the company in at times that I didn't even know if things were going to work out and it was going to move forward or if I was going to be wasting a huge investment and if I would even get to launch. But now the company's launched. I'm in the middle of this huge race that potentially is, is for lack of like better phrase, could be like my masterpiece of what I've tried to accomplish and really getting to like lay it out and do it. And I'm so thankful that these people are there to help me and at home, like messaging in the middle of the night, what time I'm going to be in somewhere when they could just be in bed asleep, that people jumped in last minute and actually volunteered to help instead of saying, nah, I'm good. 
um, that I've got a wife that cares for me so much to, to let me see this big thing through. Um, I was just so full of gratitude that I couldn't, I don't think I could be in a negative space for very long. Um, we might get there, Andrew, we might get to a negative space. You just I can. stay on the edge I of your remember, seat. I remember but, telling you or before the race to, uh, what I said to um, embrace the low moments or whatever. They're like basically telling you they're gonna happen. And you're, oh, yeah. remember, you're caught, your your reply was, "What are you talking about, man? It's not gonna like I plan on just you know." You did mention having gratitude, just being out there in nature and whatever. And I'm over here. I'm over here joking about, yeah, man. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's see what happens out there, but. Um, from what I know up to now, like even before this podcast, like I didn't hear anything about any low moments. So I was like, man, this guy really have the perfect race, but who knows, dude? Uh, I didn't inquire. I didn't delve, you know, I, go deeper. So I genuinely just, think I did have the perfect race. No, like, I don't want to hear part that. Of me, oh, man. Part of me <laughs> thought at the end, like maybe a bear should run out onto the track and just rip my limbs off. And then that, you know, that way I would, I could still live, but I would have to retire from running. Like I just couldn't run anymore, um, on trails anyway, because I couldn't, you know, I could run if I had my legs, but I'm still going to need my arms for some of this stuff in trail running. But fortunately for you, that didn't happen. I didn't get my limbs ripped off by a bear, at the track and Randall. Um, so. I mean, I wouldn't want to go that far with wishing that to happen. It was just <laughs> maybe just a moment where it was like, damn, Andrew, I think Andrew was right. But, um, oh, there, so, there gets to, that gets to be in the story later on. Oh, can't wait for that. Much, much later. So we're going to, uh, continue going here. Um, around what mile are you at right about now in this story or eight? Stations? So we're at about mile 90. Oh, the um, road. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. From here, we're about to switch pacers and go into a new day. We'll be in day three. Okay, so we'll uh, start into the next day and then do a little uh, wrap up, and then, as we discussed earlier, uh, continue this for part two. Um, but yeah, let's uh, continue the story. So. From here, I wake up. Um, this is now Javier's section. And man, he is chomping at the bits. So uh, he, we've already seen, as we're driving around Washington, he's just never seen places like this. The kid's having just an amazing time. I'm thrilled to have him there. I, again, I have a lot of uh, appreciation. I'm very happy to be giving back to him in the sense that he gets to experience something like it's going to be a long time before he does an ultra that is like this, you know? So that was really kind of special to me. And I knew it was going to make the sections with him really fun. So we headed out from road, uh, 9327. And the next point was Spencer Butte aid station. Um, we headed out in the, in the dark and the first bit of it I don't think it really seemed too bad I'm trying to remember the, uh, the layout of that little section was like, it was 
about an 11 mile section. Um, we descended a lot at first. Oh, we were, we were back in that, back in that dirt bike trail. So that was kind of annoying because we went down probably another thousand feet, just beating the crap out of my toes. And then we would climb up a total of about 1500. Um, and that, that section really kind of wore on my feet. Uh, but all in all, I was having a good time with him. That was really enjoyable. He was getting to see some stuff. I was pointing things out to him as we went. Uh, it made it really enjoyable and it made the time pass really well because you literally had like this, this practically this kid in a candy store, right? He's so ex- excited about being in the same kind of mountains that Gary Robbins like trains in and seeing these really wild places. And we're working our way up to Spencer Butte, which is a summit on a map. Um, we got there at sunrise and the, probably the downside to it for him being there was Spencer Butte is not a peak in the sense that when you get there, you're just in the trees. So you couldn't really see anything, but we did come to the summit and it was sunrise and the sun was shining through really pretty. And he took a, I got him to take a video and took a little picture with him and everything of his first summit, which was pretty cool, right? To get to be there for. And then we rolled past there and we dropped back down to Spencer Butte aid station, which wasn't very far, a few hundred feet, but he was thrilled. You know, he was just on top of the world, um, 11 miles in and still just raring to go. Um, from there we hit Spencer Butte aid station. Uh, <laughs> you want the TMI of everything too, Andrew? Like how much do you... Yeah, let's let's end this part with uh, a bunch of TMI. A bunch of TMI. Let's so, go. so this is where finally, finally, I'm like, oh man, I'm finally gonna have to go at the next aid station. Finally, like two days in, and a little before we got there, I had to peel off, and and I, I couldn't quite make it. Um, so I peeled off, found a nice place, dug my six inch hole, and did what you're supposed to do. But man, it had been so long. Javier was finally like, are you okay over there? <laughs> you, uh, you dug the hole. You yeah, dug yeah. hole and everything. Oh, that's the proper way of doing it. Very if proper. people can't control it, then build a hole around it. So. Oh, no, no, no. I, I knew I had to go, and I it, it actually took me quite a few minutes. I probably wasted a few minutes just trying to go, and then did. So anyway, so that happened. And then we rolled into Spencer Butte Aid Station. And pretty much as soon as I started eating, I was like, oh, no, I didn't even eat. I ordered food. And then all of a sudden, I decided I needed to find out where the porta potty was and had to go again. They had one of those really wonderful, you know, the ones you, you shake the little powder in things off in the corner with a bunch of flies. And uh, yeah. yeah, they called it the avocado. It was nice. You, oh, okay. you loved it. And, uh, no, so then we, fin- <laughs> yeah, not a huge, not a huge fan of associating the, an avocado with that, but it's cool. Well, you know, it, it could grow on you literally maybe. Uh, but then from there, uh, we went ahead, we ate, we got through the aid station pretty quick. That was a no crew aid station. Um, and then you followed down a road to which guess what happens next? I have to find my way about 15 feet off the road and go again. Okay. So you're just 
having a mass GI exodus over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do have to say that was yeah. That's kind of the end of that story. It doesn't even, actually now that I've told it, it doesn't even sound like that great of a story. No, I mean but. right now at this point, if that's the only thing that's look, I sh- I was shitting my pants mile fifteen at Cocodona basically. <laughs> like I shot, I literally shot on a cactus because there's nowhere else to go. So I. Uh, um, but I can say that that kind of ended it. Like I got done with that and everything went to normal after that. It had been two days. It was it was high time, as they would say. Yeah. So you were basically officially halfway through this race. Anything changed or still feeling pretty good? Still feeling pretty good in this section. There's not a lot to say about it, but uh, I mean, I could probably wrap after the from Spencer Butte to, to Lewis River. Um, Spencer Butte to Lewis River. When we dropped off the road, we got off of that motorcycle trail, which was cool. But there was no trail. There was just brush, short brush mostly. But this is where it got into that like super rugged side of things that people were talking about. We are supposed to be on a trail, but it's overgrown, which to me was fun. Like I thought it was a blast. I'm just looking for markers. And from the places I grew up in the woods as a kid, like I liked finding like game trails. That was just something I was always good at. So I was, I was actually seeing the trail that was supposed to be there, but it wasn't really there. It was just overgrown everything. Javier's back here, just kind of like figuring out, is this what a trail supposed to be? <laughs> and, uh, we pretty much just had to push down for a couple thousand feet, almost a couple thousand feet from there. Um, and it was pretty, pretty decently steep downhill and like nothing but just bushwhacking through the stuff, which I thought was super fun. He had fun with, I think. Um, but it wasn't at all what he expected that made it a lot of, a lot of fun to me. And then finally we got down near Lewis river. Um, when we got to Lewis river, that was just beautiful. The river itself is in this forest. You see up it's shallow in a lot of places and we're just running along Lewis river to get to the aid station for a couple or a few miles or so. And I mean, it's just uh picturesque as you could kind of imagine. I think of, have you ever seen uh, either of you in the show Virgin river and like between everything, they always know Super like soap opera on one of the yeah, super damn Netflix or whatever. Netflix, super yeah, romantic it's, Netflix movie. It's like yeah, it's like a soap opera thing. But the really good part about it is they always show this like aerial footage of a drone that's or like that a drone flew over one of these rivers in the Pacific Northwest, and that's what this whole river looked like. It was just flat out gorgeous, especially in that light shining through the trees. And then Javier got to see his first real like solid waterfall that was, you know, just, just a massive fall that came down. It wasn't a little trickling thing. It was a big, probably like 30 foot fall that was nice and wide and just, you know, thousands of gallons of water running down it at a time. And he stopped to take pictures and you could just see in his face, like lit, lit up, like he couldn't imagine it. Uh, just couldn't soak it in. And that made it really cool. That like right there, that part of the race, I was like, if nothing else happens right from here, I've done my part. Like this was cool. And then we rolled into Lewis river. Um, and it was time for the next exchange. So yeah, 
that like up to this point, everything has just kind of clicked off perfectly as it should. It's been absolutely beautiful. Which is great because I remember when we were talking about this race beforehand, <clears throat> the upcoming sections, um, th- there's a long ass climb right after this. I remember we were talking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. We got click attack in the future, mm-hmm. uh, uh, chain of lakes. So I'm excited to hear a lot more about those. I'm sure. D- I mean, it's inevitable stuff has to happen on those. Um, <laughs> but yeah, very awesome retelling like um you know a lot of us like hearing uh descriptions of these races um it sounds like you're just having a blast up to this point so um for those of you listening now uh you can just head over to part two to hear uh the continuation of the story since we have to break up these episodes um instead of making one single long one but um yeah, I look forward look forward to hearing the rest of this, and then as well as uh, more about uh, Wild Sense. Uh, we'll continue this um, next time, uh, or those listening now uh, here in a bit. Um, any thoughts, Stephanie, regarding Bigfoot? Is this something you think Matt would do? It's, it's a wild fucking Wait, race, man. Don't even plant that idea. Uh, Matt's doing Tahoe, so we can drag him with us. I mean, it's um, not as it's not as high as Tahoe. Yeah, if he doesn't do well with altitude, we'll see. Since we're racing each other, <laughs> no comment. I'm just gonna uh-huh. say no comment. Like I don't. I'm just gonna say no comment. I can legitimately say it's a really wonderful. Like it's it's a really good race. Um, so yeah, there stuff gets hard. They're gonna get hard in all of them. Um, this one or Tahoe or whatever, I, I wouldn't tell him not to do it. I had a wonderful time at it. We'll get more into that later, but yeah, it's, it's a great race. I mean, if you're going to do with some of the other ones, it's definitely worth the try. Just know it's got different challenges. Yeah. All right. Ooh, there's Mowgli. What's up, buddy? Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we'll continue this. Um, so we'll end it right here. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> thought you put her There's down someone, for the night. She, someone just came home. So. No. Home from what? A run? 20-mile run? What is that? No, she's, she's been bingoing. Oh, Jesus. A nursing home? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a popular yeah. place. You've got to get there by 530 for 730 bingo or they you don't yeah. even get a card. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll continue this later on. Um, or like I said, uh, just play the next episode to hear the second half. We look forward to it. Uh, so we'll talk to you then, talk to you then, Jason. All right. Sounds good. Looking forward right. to it. So part two coming up next. <laughs>